Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Revelation 3, verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Saints of Christ Church of Livingston County, are you zealous for God? Are we as a church zealous for his kingdom and for the gospel? Or are we like the church in Laodicea, to whom Jesus spoke these words? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He also said to them, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The church in Laodicea lacked zeal and was in danger of being spewed out, of being cut off, of being a church no more. Are we lukewarm or are we zealous for Christ? If we are to thrive as a church, we must be zealous. If we are to grow in our faith, if we want to see our children lay hold of Christ as their Lord and Savior, if our church is to grow, if we would see souls converted to Christ, and if we would hear the cry that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord, then we must be filled with zeal. The extent of our knowledge, though useful, is not enough. Right doctrine or theological proficiency is like dry toast in the mouth of the parched if there is no zeal for Christ. Proper liturgy falls way short if the heart of those who participated in it weekly do not burn for their Savior. It really doesn't matter how well we sing our hymns if we are not also pursuing the magnification of Jesus in our lives, in the lives of each other, and in this community. We need zeal in our lives as Christians. Remember, though, that zeal has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And zeal draws its force from the continued operations of the Spirit in our souls. But we have to keep in step with the Spirit. We must be drawing near to God regularly in His Word and in prayer. If we don't, then our inner life will dwindle. Our hearts before God will beat slowly, and we will know nothing of zeal. Zeal is also nourished by a deep sense of gratitude. Looking into the abyss of a pit from which we were rescued, we will find abundant reason why we should spend and be spent for God. There is no zeal in those whose hearts exclaim as the Laodiceans were accused of exclaiming, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. No, our zeal is cultivated when we truly know that apart from Christ, as he said of them, we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Finally, zeal is strengthened by a consistent remembrance of Christ's example. He was clothed with zeal. The will of the Father was the focal point of his life, and he was swift to carry it out. The glory of the Father consumed him, and he knew nothing of loitering. He knew no rest until he was co- all that he was called to do was accomplished. Dear saints, let us prove that we are his disciples by having the same spirit of zeal. Let us turn from being lukewarm. Let us be zealous and repent. If you are willing and able, please kneel with me as we confess. 
Heavenly Father, again, we come as your people. Often wearied by the busyness of the week and the responsibilities which we have undertaken, the opportunities that you have appointed for us and called us to live in this world. And so we come to sit at your feet, refreshed and renewed by the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and strengthened by your Spirit who dwells us. May we learn your truth and receive it gladly for it is good your commandments are not burdensome but they are life giving thank you for speaking to us today in Christ's name amen Amen. well it's good to be back we were together a couple of weeks ago and uh, we began to lay some groundwork uh learning some lessons from the life of Jeremiah, uh, the weeping prophet, and we covered some of his background and discovered how horrendous, how horrific his life was as he had been called and appointed by God to be a prophet to Israel, proclaiming the truth that uh, Israel would be going into captivity, that God was not pleased with their uh, life of disobedience, and that it was going to, um, the future looked dim, looked grim for the Israelites. And that, that testimony, that word was not well received by the Israelites. Uh, but Jeremiah kept reminding himself that he had been appointed by God. And he was prepared uh, by God for a tough ministry. And the point that uh, we were beginning to make is this is not necessarily unique to just Jeremiah, but uh, could be characteristic of anyone who is called by God and uh, living in accordance to God's word and proclaiming God's truth in love. And as we concluded our time together, gave a little assignment of contemplation just to consider what was our view, what was our perspective on life. Were we viewing everything as our choice or an appointment by God? Were we focused primarily on our security, our safety, our self, or on God's work and orders that he's given to us? Are we operating under this retirement mentality that it's going to be easy living as long as I have Jesus with me or 
Are we viewing it that we are to be battle ready? Are we characterized as those who criticize others? Or the or are we being ridiculed ourselves? The struggles and, and trials that we, we have, are they viewed as a, an annoyance, a problem, something that just needs to go away? Or is it a crown to those who persevere? Are we seeking to save ourselves or are we reaching out to save others? Is God's word being adjusted to our situation or are we obeying it and changing our seeing change in our lives? And we were reviewed a few of the a few of the um, martyrs of history and talked about what's currently going on around much of the world with regards to Christian persecution and to kind of help us provide a. a a means to hang this on. We were, we were working through the life of a soldier. So things that happen to a soldier. So he's, he's, we discovered he's drafted, right? It's not, this is not a volunteer army. God's army is a, is a is, we are here by, um, by draft, by constriction, right? He calls us. And then he gives us direct orders and helps us understand that it's going to be a difficult journey. And he gives us example and model time and again, and in the end says, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you should anticipate a life very similar to Christ. If we're going to take the name Christian, which the early church was called, because they were the little Christs, we would anticipate that our reception in the world would be similar to that of Christ's reception. It was not, Christ was not well received. He was not cool. He was not that friend that you just hang with. He, time and again, was sought out to be killed, and eventually it happened. And that wasn't, as we know, just something that happened. That was the plan before the foundation of the world. It was not to be avoided. It was not to be changed. It was not, he wasn't hoping that it would go away. That was necessary according to God's plan. And so as a soldier is drafted and as a soldier understands the seriousness of the endeavor under which he takes, once a soldier has been trained and given orders, that soldier is then ready to be deployed. That's always the purpose of it, right? Not to just hang in the barracks, not just to hang out uh, in training, but all of that is working towards deployment, active duty. And that's what we see in verse 9 as we move forward in Jeremiah's song. We see Jeremiah in the midst of his duty. He says, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more of his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Right? The natural man, Jeremiah, said, whenever I speak what God tells me to speak, look what happens to my life. It gets undone. It's difficult. It's tragic. But he understood that the orders must be carried out. 
There was no turning back. Jeremiah could not resist the work to which he had been appointed. We talked about that last year, the very beginning of Jeremiah and then earlier on here. He talked about him being called and him trying to argue God out of it. And he viewed it as being deceived by God as he was called into this, this work. God had given Jeremiah an appointment and a message that must be proclaimed. And as hard as it is, good news will not be kept quiet. Now we like the, we, we like the, the peaceful side of good news, but good news often has a hard side to it as well. Whenever, think, just think about our, I guess our lives, whenever we discover something or we've had a good time or we, we're excited about something, we are compelled to share that, right? We want others to know about it. Historically, that's happened. With, you think about great inventors, Arch, Archimedes, right? What's the, what's the phrase we even use from him today? The exclamation. Eureka! Eureka right? He found it. And, and Galileo, in his discovery that we're not a, Earth-centered, but a heliocentric uh, universe had to proclaim that even though he was proclaimed a heretic and he was abused. He, he was convinced of that truth. That's good news. Right? But he, I mean, Galileo went under some extreme, extreme and harsh conditions. And I'm always impressed by Isaac Newton as I read through his works a mathematician, a scientist, part of the Royal Society in England, and yet he can't help himself but to integrate into his works a proclamation of who God is. When you look at these things, you can't help but understand that there's a God out there. He did not separate, Newton did not separate his, his science and his religion. It's very natural for us to share it. And it was natural for the blind, lame, and dead men to share their stories of when they were healed. They were reminded they probably shouldn't do that because Christ knew what that was going to, right? That was going to create some more havoc in his life. And he said the time had not come for him to fully reveal what he was all about. But they still went. And they proclaimed what Christ and the disciples had done in, in their healing. And as we read last time with the martyr Lucian, when asked, why do, you, why do you do this? You had a life of prosperity as a wizard, as a magician. It was going great for you. Why do you now choose to proclaim Christ and undergo these great, these, the great harshness of life? And Lu- Lucian replied, right, that the laws of charity and humanity oblige all men to endeavor the, conversa- the conversion of their neighbors and to do everything in their power to rescue them from the snares of the devil. That's the truth in love. It is so important. It's, it is the most loving thing that we can do is to let others know the danger that awaits them if they are not holding onto Christ alone by faith. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 says, Whoa! Woe to me if I do not preach this gospel. And Peter and John in Acts 4, as they were beaten and imprisoned and told, you cannot speak of Christ, walked away rejoicing 
that they were counted worthy and could not help but speak of what they saw. The orders are there. The orders are clear. The orders cannot be resisted. They must be carried out. And as we reflect on these things, we understand the battle that we face each day because we have the old man still hanging on even though he's dead. And the old man, the flesh, does not like this. He does not appreciate this situation. He hates giving this testimony of Jesus Christ because it reminds him of his condition. He is actually dead and has no power whatsoever. The old man is concerned with saving himself, yet he knows he will not be saved. How easily do we succumb to that thought? So much so that Christ, the, the disciples continually argued about this. And Christ reminded them, if you're going to seek to save your own life, you will lose it. It can't be about saving ourselves. Because we will make wrong decisions on that. We want to preserve the old man. That's our nature. Christ, by his spirit, gives new life. And those who are in him will persevere to the crown. And hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And Paul reminds the Corinthians in his first letter that that takes discipline, self-control, extensive training to make that happen. It does not come naturally. It does not come automatically. It is hard, hard work. And one of the main ways, one of the, the, the main means that God uses for that discipline is that through uh, trials and temptations and tribulations. As we remember from James. How many times have we heard stories about soldiers or firemen or, or, or police, those first responders who are willing to risk their own lives in order to save and protect others. We are so grateful for those first responders, right? And they do it all in the line of duty. I'm sure we still have vid, vid, uh, pictures of 9-11 in our heads. We see firemen and policemen rushing towards these falling, burning buildings while everybody else, ashen-covered are running away. They are not worried about their own life. They are worried about saving those, and that's the position a Christian is in. It's not my own salvation. It's not my own preservation. If you have the chance to watch Hacksaw Ridge or read the book about uh, Corporal Desmond Doss, do so. Be careful. I will warn you that the movie gets pretty intense. So you want to probably wait until you're about 52 to, to watch it. Well, I wouldn't take any of the little ones there. But what a great depiction of a man, conscientious objector in World War II, who was a medic. And God used him in many, many different ways, but especially at the Battle of Okinawa. As their goal, as their objective was to take Hacksaw Ridge in order to secure the island so that the, the Allied forces could have a place from which to operate. And they were able to make some progress, but the, the Japanese, who had a, a web of, of masterfully uh, dug trenches, were able to withstand assaults time and again. And the Americans had gone and made some progress, 
And overnight, they huddled together in their tunnels and then came out the next morning in a mass rage, pushing the American forces back again. And all descended down this 90-foot cliff back to safety, except for Corporal Doss. He felt convinced by God that he was supposed to remain up there and help any American soldiers who were still alive and suffering. And so he put himself in peril, stayed the night, and through his efforts, God used him to rescue and save over 75 soldiers that he would drag to the edge of the cliff and, and drop down. And the people at the bottom would say, well, here comes another one. Where'd that one come from? And he suffered himself. In the, he took shrapnel in the leg. He took a bullet in the arm that broke it. And yet God preserved him. And he lived to, I'm not sure the age, but 2003 is when he eventually passed. A great story. And he would not pick up a weapon. And his faith was strong because he thought that's what God wanted him to do. He believed in God's word and was willing to do it and anticipated that God would preserve him. And he was going to go about the business of helping to save others. A soldier who understands the mission and the orders will not neglect their duty. They will not. And so they are prepared for the adversarial assaults that come their way. As we see in verse 10, Jeremiah describes kind of what his life is like. I will not, no, verse 10, for I heard many mocking, fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. And all my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him and we will take our revenge on him. Jeremiah was fully behind enemy lines, even when he was among friends. He had no safe space, no coloring books, no place to feel like he was secure. No one enjoyed his message, and they all wanted to stop him, friend and foe alike. Now, we are prepared for the attack of the enemy, right? But it's difficult when it's the friend. And for Jeremiah, and we must understand this as well, enemies and friends alike are watching carefully. And in many cases, looking for the opportunity to report. He uses here in verse 10, the name, remember the name he had given to Pasher, the priest? After Pasher put him in the stocks and beat him and told him, you can't do this anymore. Once he was out, Jeremiah looked him in the face and said, your name shall now be terror on every side. And he reiterates that in his song here, as there is terror on every side. It's not just Pasher, but it's enemies and friends. And these, in Jeremiah's mind and in reality, were not just mistakes. His friends were not just misunderstanding. They were actively setting traps and they were deceiving him to see if they could could report him. And we must understand, again, this situation is not 
unique to Jeremiah. It is a standard. It is an ongoing um, expectation for God's faithful people. It goes all the way back to the garden, even before the garden. Right? Who was the highest of the angels, most beautiful, most glorious. And yet he was discontent and wanted to be like God. God's greatest angel became the deceiver. And he used that deception to turn, to tempt God's first creation, Adam and Eve, and they fell for it. And it carried on as Cain sought out revenge against Abel. We see it in Joseph's brothers who became jealous and sought revenge. We see it in the relationship of King Saul and David. David, this faithful warrior, this faithful soldier, this faithful servant of King Saul. King Saul sought to kill him because he became jealous. The prophets all experienced this. Think of Elijah especially. After his Carmel experience of seeing God do mighty works, becomes afraid of Jezebel. Because of her deception and her desire to search him out and kill him. The apostles all had their deceivers, those who were against them. Acts, when we see the life of Stephen, he clearly says, you, you seek to deceive me and, and bring me down. And all of that, again, was characteristic of the life of Christ, right? He had his Pharisees. And he had his friends. Judas in particular, but all of them in his night of need turned their back on him. How can we expect it to be any different? If that is consistently what is happening throughout history, especially biblical history, and to our Savior himself, we must understand that we, uh, this is going to happen to us. The wise Christian must be prepared not only for the attacks of the clear enemy, but the deceptive, the deception of friends. I often encourage people, and I, I, I try to follow this myself, you trust but verify. Hey, just don't, don't take people, take their word for it, but make sure you, you confirm that they're going to do Don't Don't be naive. What is it? Wise as servants, serpents, and peaceful as doves, right? There's, we have to, to maintain this balance. And it helps us understand even more why slander and gossip and backbiting are such severe, have such severe consequences from God's perspective. Those are major sins, if you will. We're reminded to be careful when everybody says peace and safety. Because it's not happening. Do we, is that what we're so, we're so intent on having peace that we're willing to accept it at any cost? Except the cost that comes with proclaiming Christ's name. We must understand that enemy attacks and deceiving friends are part of God's design to make us like Christ. If we're going to be made like Christ, we're going to have to do the things that Christ did. We're going to go through those things. And we will then become gracious and forgiving like our Lord. As we understand what he went through, as we experience that, and by his spirit, we are disciplined. And since it is part of his plan, 
We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to try to figure it out. We don't have to fret or fear. Because we know we have a God who will preserve us in no matter what circumstance we are. If we're concerned about our safety, we fear. If we're focused on God's work, the fear moves away. It's not, we must understand, it's not, it's not that, it is hard. It's difficult. It was not easy for Christ to hang on the cross. It was not easy for the apostles to be sawn in half. It was not easy for church martyrs, early Christians, to be killed for Christ. We're not saying it's easy. But we're saying it is God's plan. And it is the means by which he proclaims his good news. See, a soldier understands the risks of being in battle and will prepare for both enemy assaults as well as friendly fire. Right in those famous words of Julius Caesar at the end of Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar, right? Julius Caesar proclaims, Et tu, Brute? (laughs) And you, Brutus? His friend, his confidant, was there in the assassination driving the swords into him. And even today, what word do we still use to describe someone or an event that is vicious and animal-like and unconscionable? We would call that person a brute. And he was a friend. So be ready. Be ready because it's going to happen, but a good soldier, a good soldier remembers that his disheartening situation has been accounted for in the planning, preparation, and battle strategy by the military leaders who have had successful campaigns in the past. They trust their commander, and she said, trust their generals. And Jeremiah comes to that point here in verse 11 and 12. He recognizes who his commander is, who the great warrior is. But the Lord is with me as a dread or great warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts who test the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For you, for to you have I committed my cause. Jeremiah remembered and takes courage and comfort in who God is. He is the mighty warrior. And he reminds himself of the promise that God had made at the beginning of his calling. I am calling you. I am giving you that message. You must go forward. Jeremiah had been appointed. And I imagine, it's not here, but I imagine he, he time and again remembered the, um, the stories of history. And God's promises, the deliverance time again, especially from Egypt. And so we must live by that same faith. That same faith. What is God's promise? To never leave us nor forsake us. Not just to leave as read Romans 8, right? All things work together for good. Those are tough circumstances that go around in that context. And in the trendy verse, Philippians 4.13, right? All things. I can do all things. What's the context of that? 
I've learned to be abased and abound. I've learned to hunger. The soldier reveres and honors his general because he has a proven track record and has gained the soldier's trust. And in response, a song is generated. I love the first song we sang today. It was a reminder of the importance of singing in God's army. And we talked about Isaac, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of the evildoers. A song will come out of those who are serving God. And so we need to be reminded and evaluate our place in life. It's okay to, it's, it's okay to have a hard moment and to question. But as we go through that evaluation, do we understand, do we agree that it's been appointed by God? That it's, we will be trained by God's word in order to handle those tough moments. That we are called and commissioned by Christ to go into all the world and make disciples and preach the gospel. And that by his spirit we will be sustained. We will be We will endure and persevere. That is the promise of God because we are led by that great warrior. We have the almighty God, the creator of all things, the great deliverer. And so it should rise up in us. There should rise up in us a song to sing his praises. May these words of Jeremiah be an encouragement to each of our hearts. In the name of the Father, the Son. And Holy Spirit, let's pray. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporally that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, Closing as he taught us. Here at the Lord's table, we remember the Lord's death until he comes. His death is the only means whereby we can stand safely before God. Our works as fathers and as mothers and as children, never enough. They always fall short. But if you belong to him, you should know this already. But the fact of falling short is only another means to drive us to our knees at the cross. And the Father himself meets us there. He extends his hand. He puts on our hand the signet ring, stamped with the image of Jesus. He selects the finest robes for us to clothe ourselves and seat us at a lavish meal. He was killed, he has killed the fatted calf and prepared it with aromatic spices. Now is the time to sit and eat in welcome, in comfort, in assurance of grace, in God's love, face to face with him. To this table we invite all who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church, By eating the bread and drinking the wine together, we are acknowledging that we are sinners without hope except for 
the sovereign mercy of God, and that we are trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. So come, welcome to Christ's table. This is his body broken for you. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.